Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is part three of the uh, uh, study that we've been doing on the uh, love of God. This is part three, and the title of this part is The Second Commandment, Loving Others. This is lesson one, and I'm going to start lesson one the same way I started lesson one of the part two, which was this first commandment, loving God. And so this is the second commandment, loving others, but we'll, it's all the same verses to begin with. So I'm reading from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31 in the King James Version. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, answered him, which is the first commandment of all. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And so the title of lesson one is, The Second Greatest Commandment of God of all of God's commandments is to love others. First greatest commandment is to love him. The second greatest commandment is to love others. Now, all of that is conditioned upon whether or not we receive his love from him to us in order to have his love to give back. Because as I've said many times in these studies on the love of God, the Greek word is agape, and God is agape, and God is the source of all that. So I cannot love others. I can't love God with agape until I receive agape from God, and I can't love others with agape without receiving agape from God for myself. That's why the greatest, second greatest commandment is, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The Amplified Version, I'm going to read all of this again in the Amplified and then in Weiss. Amplified says, then one of the scribes came up and listened to them disputing with one, with one another and noticing that Jesus answered them fitly and admirably. He asked him, which commandment is the first and most important of all in its nature? Jesus answered, the first and principal of all, principal one of all commands is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord and, that's the coupling that makes these two parts the one command. It's not, Hero is the Lord, and God is one Lord, is the greatest commandment, and then the, the second part is the second command. It's not. <clears throat> the, the, the greatest commandment is a two-part command that you and I uh, need to uh, understand is the greatest command. And so... Uh, Jesus answered, the first and principal one of all commands is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God out of and with your whole heart and out of and with your soul, uh, your, your life, and out of and with all of your, excuse me, out of and, and with all your soul, your life, and out of and with all your mind, without, with your, uh, faculty of thought and your moral understanding and out of and with all your strength. This is the first com and principal commandment. The second is like 
like it, and it is, and is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There was another command greater than these. And then we says it this way, and having come, one of the men learned in the sacred scripture, learned in the sacred scriptures, having heard them questioning together, knowing that he had answered them well, asked him, of what sort is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered, the first is, be hearing, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord with your God with your whole heart with you, and with your whole soul and with your whole mind and with your whole strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself greater than these, another commandment there is not. Now, there are other translations that actually go so far as to include the, the, the redundant word in the greatest, second greatest commandment. Uh, because of the grammatical rules of both English and Greek of redundancy, there is a word missing from the second greatest commandment. But we know that it's, it's not missing because God left it out on purpose. He, it's missing because we don't need it there because of the rules of gr- redundancy. We automatically supply it because of the, the, the way we speak the languages and the, the rules that govern it. So uh, I'm going to read that last commandment with the word in there uh, that is redundant. Uh, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as you love yourself. You shall love your neighbor as in the same manner as you love yourself. Now, uh, this is a huge subject believe it or not, because ultimately this is the whole flow of what God uh, is doing in and through our lives. Uh, Psalm 1611 uh, says, Thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so thou wilt show me the path of life colon, the grammatical rule of the colon is that which follows the colon expands, expounds on or explains what precedes the colon. Thou wilt show me the path of life. He's going to show us the path of life. Here it comes. This is the path of life. He's going to show it to us. And what is the path of life? In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. So I'm saying to you, in thy presence is fullness of joy. That's what the first command is all about. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what the second commandment is all about. So obeying the first and second commandments is how we have life. And if I am neglecting or not involved in one or both of those, I do not have life. I may be living naturally, but I'm not living spiritually. And I don't have spiritual life. I don't have it. And so, in this context, in this context, it's very important for us to, to see and understand everything God is doing and saying here. So, because of the foundation, which is the the first part of the path of life, in thy presence is fullness of joy. So 
I don't jump immediately to being involved with the mission of reaching the world and being involved in the church and being involved in ministry and being involved in all of this. No. Because unless I have the first part, the second part is not only meaningless, but it's impossible. I can, if I'm not, if I'm not satisfying and pleasing God, with my involvement with the first commandment, the first part, in thy presence is fullness of joy, I have no hope of pleasing God with my involvement in the second commandment or at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. I have no hope. Because everything is founded upon the first commandment and the second commandment flows from the first commandment and it is empowered by the, our involvement with the first commandment. It, all of that. And those that are involved in the church and involved in ministry, uh, because they're trying to be the conduit for God's right hand, uh, his, his authority, his power, his word, his spirit, his name, his blood, his grace, his peace, his righteousness, his joy. I can keep going on. You can keep, you know, whatever. If I'm going to be, if I'm going to minister these things, I cannot minister them effectively if I don't have the first. I know this is simple, but that's the deal. That's it right there. That's what it's all about. And if I'm not going to focus on the first, I don't have a second. I don't have a ministry if I don't have a relationship with God. What I can do religious things that we call ministry. Back in uh, England, especially in the 16, 17, 18, 1900s, uh, with those that were in the nobility, the eldest son got everything. He got everything. And so a man that had uh, more sons who was the spare, in case something happened, that's what they called it, an heir and a spare, if they, uh, uh, it, 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 the, the, the heir got everything. The spare, though, well, he was just supposed to be continue living in case something happened to the heir, then he would become the heir. And so, since, uh, many of the nobility thought it was uncouth and beneath them to work physical labor or to be involved with banking or investments and all that, even though some did, uh, then, there were only two basic professions that the second, third, or more sons could be involved in as nobility. That was kind of limiting them to this case. And one was be in the military, and the other was to be in the clergy. And so there were many sons of the nobility that ended up in the clergy of the Anglican Church, the Church of England, not because they knew God, not because they were called of God, but because it was an honorable thing to do as the son of the second, third, or fourth, fifth son, whatever, of nobility. Now, that doesn't work for God. That's just not good enough for him. Because nobody volunteers for this office. The scripture says in Hebrews, I think it's chapter 8, maybe 9, that no one takes this office unto themselves. 
You are only called, you're only drafted into the ministry. You don't choose, oh, that sounds like a nice career. I think I will become a minister. Oh, people do it all the time in various faiths, but it's not possible for God to do it like that. He doesn't do it like that. He chose us before the foundation of the world. What we do with that choice, now that's up to us. Whether we fight it, reluctantly uh, surrender to it, but don't really ever give ourselves to it, or or we uh, surrender our whole selves to him and say, okay, here we are, we're yours. But we know from Jesus picking the 12 that he didn't pick the nobility, and he also didn't even pick from the priesthood. Now, there were people who were involved in the priesthood, uh, God's priesthood for the Jews, uh, who got saved and some of them that went into the ministry. I don't know that you would call Paul a priest uh, because you had to be of the tribe of Levi to become a priest. And I don't know that, I've, that I have ever found any place where Paul claimed to be a priest before he was saved. So the point I make it is the Lord calls people from all walks of life. Apparently Luke was a doctor of some kind and uh, uh, he ended up giving that up to follow in company with Jesus and uh, and also Paul apparently. And then, uh, uh, you know, we know that Matthew was a professional tax collector. Uh, we know that John was a fisherman. Again, Luke was a doctor. I'm not sure what Mark was. Uh, Mark was uh, the son. I think he was related to uh, uh, Peter and John, I think. Don't quote me on that, I think. But the point is, uh, we know at least four of the 12 were professional fishermen, which meant they were professional sailors. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. Uh and one was a uh, had been a, a a gorilla, not a gorilla, but a gorilla, an under uh, uh, behind the scenes fighter uh, against the tyranny of Rome. He was a part of the the group that was uh, that Rome would consider terrorists, and they killed him like terrorists when they had the opportunity. And so the point I'm making to you is that you know the Lord picks all these kind of people. Uh, so nobody has a ministry because of their intelligence, because of their education, because of their how nice a person they are, or any of those things. God chooses people that need Him for them to that need Him uh, to work in them and through them. To have a ministry so that no one can take the credit for that. Now, that doesn't mean he can't pick good people. That doesn't mean he can't use educated people. That doesn't mean he can't use people with great intelligence. It just means to have a ministry from God and be used of God in those areas, I've got to surrender all that to God and not trust any of it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Solomon said in Proverbs 3, Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. 
And so being in tune with God, following the leading of the Spirit of God, are so absolutely fundamental and foundational to ministry where God loves others through us that it cannot be overstated. Because if I'm trying to be a part of ministry and I don't know how to hear the voice of God, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the rhema of God or the voice of God speaking to us. If I can't hear the voice of God, how can I be in the ministry? How can I do ministry? I can't do ministry if I can't hear the voice of God. And you read all of chapter 10 of Romans and you'll find that the whole discussion is ultimately, directly and indirectly, about this very act. Needing to hear the word of faith or the rhema of faith. And yet I can't call on him who I've not heard. And I can't, and how can I hear of him, uh, without uh, a preacher? And how can they preach except they be sent? Uh, because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the rhema of God. And so the whole chapter, is basically about this. So if I don't have, if I don't have a relationship with God, if I don't become a part of Him and He becomes a part of me, if I don't abide in His presence and He abides in me, then I don't learn His voice. I don't learn His spirit. I don't become sensitive. And so therefore, I don't have the most basic tools, sensitivity to his spirit, and the ability to hear his voice, and follow his direction, and be committed to his will. If I don't have that as my foundation because of my relationship with God, I can't have a ministry to people. And the second command proves that it's not just the people that we call, say, are called to the pulpit ministry. But it is every Holy Ghost filled, baptized in Jesus' name, child of God, that is called to obey the second greatest command. And that is to love others as we love ourselves. Well, how did I love myself? I love myself by God's love enough to receive His love, 1 John 4, 19, which then gave me love to give back to Him. We love Him because He first loved us. So, because he first loved us, we love him. That's saying exactly the same thing. Because he first loved us, and because we received that love, we now can love him. And that's how we get the love to give to him. He is agape. He gives us agape. We give that agape back to him in relationship with him. But, because we have loved ourselves or we have received agape for ourselves, we are now not just supposed to give that directly back to him in obeying his commands. We don't ever stop doing that. But now the next level of showing our love for God is to let him love others through us. So we are to agape others, my neighbor. We are to love or agape our neighbor, King James word there, uh, as, as we agape ourselves. So we received agape and gave agape back to him in obedience. So the second command is we receive agape and we give agape to others as his conduit. <clears throat> now, all of that starts with the first command. And we talked about that in the first part of the series, uh, the love of God. And then we 
talked about it in the second series, the first command, loving God. And now we're in the second part of the series, the second command, loving others. I, I used to try to love others. I tried hard to love others. I used to try hard to see them saved. And uh, I finally realized God doesn't want me to love others at all. And that he won't let me save them. And so therefore, I stopped. So I'm going to make a shocking statement to you. Me, this, I don't care if the whole world goes to hell. But I've never had more love for people and more love for the lost than I have today. Well, you just contradicted yourself. Oh, no. I was very specific. The love that I have for people, the love I have for the lost, the desire with which I want to see people saved, it's not my love and it's not my desire. I'm just a conduit for his love. And I've got to give up my attempts to love them with my filio love, my human emotion and affection so that I can become the conduit for him to love them through me. And I'm not obeying the second commandment while I take over the process and do it with my human emotion when God wants me to do it with his spiritual love that he flows through me with me just being the conduit. These are not just little tidbits I'm throwing out here. These things are so fundamental These points are so fundamental to my salvation and what God does through me for the salvation of others. Because ultimately, where does it start? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There's only one supreme ruler in the whole universe and outside of the universe. Because the universe is in God and God is in the universe. There's only one supreme ruler. The Lord. There's only one Lord, one supreme ruler, because there's only one God. And so I can't obey the first commandment if I don't know who I'm obeying. And I can't tell people about him if I don't know who I'm telling them about. And if I don't know him, I can't convince them to know him. There won't be any conviction of his spirit flowing from me, through me, to them, Unless I am convinced because I know him. And because I know him, I give him my whole being. And when I give him my whole being, I cease being a container of God. I become a conduit for God. Which is another series that I will be doing here in the relatively near future. That's very critical for what God wants to do out of us and in us and to us and through us in these last days. So here we are. What uh, <laughs> what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do? What are we going to do about this? Well, here's the problem. Uh, a lot of folks don't like, a lot of preachers don't like bringing stuff down to heaven and hell issues. Well, Yes, 
But even if I want to go to heaven and I go to heaven because I have received his love and I'm giving it back to him in obedience, I am well aware that the end benefit of that is I will not go to hell, I will go to heaven. If I ignore that fact, then I very well may not go to heaven because I will think I'm saved when in fact I am not saved. Now, Revelation 21, I think it's verse 8, says that the disobedient are not going through those gates of the city. Really? Wait a second. Disobedience, what do the obedient obey? The obedient obey commands. First command is the... Hero is the Lord God, our God is one Lord, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second command is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor in the same exact manner to the same degree, in the same way that you love yourself. C- command, command. So can someone go to church faithfully? Pay their tithes faithfully. Obey the preacher faithfully. Live a separated life faithfully. And not know God at all. Or at the very least, not know him well enough that uh, you obey the first commandment and the second commandment. Can the disobedient go to heaven? If knowing who God is, that he's one, and knowing uh, and knowing that he expects me to give him my whole being, if that's a commandment, can I be saved if I'm disobedient to that commandment? You answer that question between you and God. Second, if, I, if after having received his love without earning or deserve it, and I freely received it, if I'm not willing to freely give it, to love others just like I received it, freely, and that's a command, and I'm not doing it, can I be saved? Now, I've taught this already, mentioned it in a, one of the past uh, lessons. I don't remember which one. But when he said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, we have commandments to love our brother. We also have commandments to love our enemies. We'll be talking about both of those in this series. But just for the conclusion of this lesson, when he says, thou shalt love thy neighbor uh, I don't remember the context. It might have been right after this, uh, this place, this occasion, where uh, someone asked him, who is my neighbor? <laughs> Love your neighbors yourself. Well, who is my neighbor? And he told them the story of the good Samaritan. Now, when he said a certain man, Whenever he uses specifics like that, it's no longer a story of 
parable, meaning just an illustration. But he is now relating an account that actually happened. And like any preacher that's got any wisdom, a lot of times you tell stories, but you sure don't tell the names. And you don't tell the whole story because you don't want to be in trouble for telling, using someone as an illustration uh, where it would get back to them and then be upset with you, even though it's very important for people to understand that this was a real story. This really happened. And so he told the story of a, a Jew who was going down to Jericho. Last time I told this story, I couldn't remember where it was, whether it was Jerusalem or Jericho, duh. I couldn't, but it's it's Jericho. He was going down to Jericho, literally. It's a, the, the slope of the road from where he was to where he was going was, it was a downhill journey most of the way. So he was going down to Jericho. And from all I've read, studied, that particular road was one that was especially susceptible to thievery. And he fell among thieves. And they stole everything he had, including his the coat. They left him naked, wounded, and they left him for dead on the side of the road. All of the trappings that he'd been traveling with that showed his who he was at his station in life and how poor or prosperous he was. All of that was gone. The only thing that was left was a bruised, wounded, dying human being laying completely naked on the side of the road. And the priest comes by, one of God's priests, and he walks by on the other side because he doesn't want to get contaminated by that. Didn't want to walk by, whatever. And then I think it was a scribe that came by next. And again, they gave him plenty of room. They didn't want to get, they didn't want to get contaminated by him. But then a Samaritan, then if you read in John chapter four, the first part of that and hear that Samaritan woman's interaction with Jesus, you will know how much the Samaritans knew that the Jews despised them. As she put it, you Jews have no dealings with us Samaritans. And yet it was a Samaritan man that rather than pass by this man, this Jew, who was obviously a Jew, who was naked, beaten, wounded, left for dead on the side of the road, who went to him. He poured in oil and wine in his wounds. He ripped up his own garments and made bandages out of them. He put him on his own donkey that he'd been riding and took him to the closest inn and put the man in a room at the inn and told the innkeeper, whatever you have to do, take care of him, nurse him back to health. And when I pass by this way again, whatever that costs you, I will pay you. I will pay you. Now, Jesus said, who was a neighbor to that man? And they all were really upset because Jesus implied that that uh, despised Samaritan was more 
righteous in being a neighbor to that wounded Jew than a priest and a Levite. Maybe it was a Levite, which is the, the family of the priesthood, the tribe of the priesthoods. They served, they served God's house. They may not have been priests, but they, the Levites served in God's house. And so the priest and the Levite were not a friend or a neighbor or a help to one of their own countrymen who was like that. What the Samaritan was. Now I've got one, I gotta ask the question one more time here. Can I be saved if I don't love my neighbor? If loving my neighbor is a commandment, in fact, the second most important commandment in all of the Bible, can I be saved? No matter how religious and righteous I appear to be, no matter how much I say I pray, can I be saved being disobedient to the first and second commandment? I'll leave that with you right there as the launching point for this entire series. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you will let your heart be as soft before God as it needs to be, that your eyes be as open as they need to be spiritually by him, and your ears be unstopped to whatever degree he needs you to have ears that hear and eyes that see and a heart to perceive so that you can move forward in God from wherever you are now to wherever he wants to take you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.